think tremendous opportunities await for connected strategies, but there's a huge trust issue, right, between customers and uh, and companies. I mean, it's one thing if I order, you know, a book on, on Amazon, right? Okay, I need a certain amount of trust, you know, that this will happen, but there's something else about sharing my personal health data or, or my, my financial data. That's Nikolai Sigelkow, professor at the Wharton School and co-author of Connected Strategy building continuous customer relationships for competitive advantage. Nikolai is the expert in the connected strategy revolution that's sweeping the way businesses sell. Instead of one-off transactions, it's all about creating relationships. Companies now need to learn what customers like, what they don't like, and anticipate their needs. They need to be always on and always connected. Whether you think these connections are amazing unnerving, or a little bit of both, the fact is they're becoming a vital part of the digital economy. Nikolai delivered one of the most popular keynotes about connected strategy at our annual Digital Economy Summit. And today, I'm excited for you to hear Nikolai explain how these strategies work and why trust is an essential ingredient to making them successful. This is Daniel Sachs, co-CEO of AppDirect, and it's time to decode connected strategies. Welcome to Decoding Digital, a podcast for innovators looking to thrive in the digital economy. I'm your host, Daniel Sachs, and I'll sit down with other founders, CEOs, and changemakers to decode the trends that are transforming the way we work. Let's decode. So how did you become a professor? Did you just wake up in the morning one day as a kid and say, I'm going to write a book and become a professor? Um, almost. Um, <laughs> uh, it was really during my undergraduate time at Stanford um, that I sort of had always in my mind, I wanted to come, you know, go into business. And I said, well, maybe kind of this teaching profession actually uh, sounds really interesting because it allows you to do so many different things, it allows you to research. Uh, interact with students, interact with uh, you know executives, and so it was kind of that package that I found really being, uh, you know, being a business school professor as being so, such an interesting uh, you know idea, and so I started to pursue that idea. So from having the idea of being a professor to becoming a professor, what were some of the challenges and hurdles you had, and yeah. how did you overcome them? So the long, them? long path uh, <laughs> uh, in between there is something called a PhD. Um, so uh, I. You know, kind of, I graduated from Stanford with an economics degree. Then I applied to uh, both economics programs and business economics programs, and you know, was very fortunate to get into the business economics program at uh, Harvard. Uh, and you know, again, part of that journey there was I was able to uh, work with Mike Porter, who became my thesis advisor, and that was certainly inspiring, kind of, to really dig deep into the uh, field of strategy. You know, and then. Yeah, 22 years ago, I, I joined the faculty at Wharton and uh, have been sort of teaching and researching strategy ever since. So tell the audience about Mike Porter and some of the uh, lessons you learned from him. Well, Mike was always an amazing, inspiring person for me, right? Sort of, uh, if you're a graduate student, uh, the main role of your advisors is to tell you how stupid you are, and that's okay. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, going to Mike and talking to Mike was always very, uh, you know, inspirational. And, and Mike is just unsurpassed and being able to see patterns out there, right? Uh, and kind of synthesizing those patterns. 
Um, and so it was just, uh, you know, kind of a really a joy and a big privilege to kind of work with them for a couple of years while being there. And then actually we continued working together, uh, you know, after, after that as well. How do you think about identifying patterns? Is it looking at data? Is it objective research? Uh, is it interviews? What do you find helps you connect the dots? Yeah, it's probably all of that, right? And I think this is sort of actually a nice lead into kind of our topic here of connected strategy, right? Because it was sort of something that uh, both Christian and I kind of, this is you know, a project together with my colleague Christian Tervish uh, from the operations department at Wharton. Uh, and uh, sort of through our work, our teaching, our work with companies, both of us are co-directors of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management. So we get sort of contact with, with executives sort of in the innovation world. Uh, and sort of we saw kind of a very common pattern emerge of lots of organizations really redefining of how they wanted to interact with their customers. And to us, kind of the interesting thing was we saw that across a whole bunch of industries, right? Uh, and so the idea being that rather than waiting for a customer to come to you uh, with a need, and then we sort of respond to that, uh, why can't we have sort of a continuous connection to our customer that may allow us to potentially anticipate the needs of that customer, to be even aware of needs that customers might have or might develop before the customer is even aware of that need. Uh, and so to have sort of many more smaller interactions with customers over time than rather than having sort of few big episodic interactions. What's an example of a company that does that really well? Well, no one, I think, is doing it really well yet. <laughs> and I think we are sort of, in part, this is sort of what's the exciting thing about delving into this topic, because I think we're just seeing it sort of emerging. But I think the opportunities, right, are, are amazingly big. So, of course, companies like Amazon, right, are, I think, you know, making quite some headways of becoming more and more embedded, right, in our lives and learning more and more about us and being able to anticipate needs and remove pain points from our lives. But, you know, I think sort of one arena, and I think that becomes currently very clear, where there is tremendous uh, potential is healthcare. So that was actually the sort of use case that originally sort of inspired us kind of to think about this. Because healthcare right now really works on the model of we wait until something really catastrophic happens to you, right? Then you go to see a doctor or go into a hospital right? While you're in the hospital, you are completely connected, right? 24-7, all the attention is on you. But then someone decides, okay, now you're well enough. And then they basically kick you out of the hospital and practically you're completely unconnected again until something really catastrophic happens to you again, right? And then you get readmitted. And just sort of talking about it like that, I think makes it clear that this cannot be efficient, right? Either for me as a patient, nor for the healthcare system. Right? And to us, kind of what really made us so excited about this topic of connected strategy was that we saw again and again that these connected strategies allowed not just to have a better customer experience, but at the same time also increase efficiency. Right? So it was really a win-win. It was not kind of one benefits on the expense of someone else, but it was really kind of creating uh, kind of a new model that, that creates so much more value. Uh, and, you know, that can then basically divide it between the organization that offers that strategy and the, and the consumer, the customer, the client, the patient, whoever is on the other side, uh, who's, who's sort of, uh, you know, getting the benefit of a better experience. So how do you define connected strategy and how does it contrast with, let's say, digital transformation? So again, for us, a connected strategy um, has kind of two big parts to it. On the one hand is what we'd call the connected customer relationship. Uh, and so we can talk more deeply about that, but that is basically of how a firm 
is able to sort of more deeply connect to a customer. And there are various ways of how, how a company can do that. And basically trying to eliminate some pain points that a customer currently has. Um, and on the other hand, the second part of that connected strategy is what we call a connected delivery model. Uh, so right now I have to create this great customer experience, right, with high efficiency. Uh, and here, right, there are sometimes very interesting innovations around companies being able to connect previously unconnected parties, um, right? So if we think about an uh, Airbnb or an Uber or Lyft, right here to us kind of right the, the key innovation was connecting um, existing parties that previously were unconnected, right? So we always had people who had a room open for, you know, for rent and we had people who needed to stay, but they were never really connected, right? And so by, by creating, again, those connections, uh, firms were able to create, again, great customer experiences at relatively low efficiency. So those are kind of the two key elements for us that make up a connected strategy. Now, kind of digital transformation, let's put it this way, I think sort of technology quite often allows these connected strategies to come about, right? I mean, I think, you know, in part, the question is, you know, why now? Why haven't we seen those like 20 years ago? Well, it is, right? Uh, and again, we can talk about various facets of technology that make connected strategy now possible. But what we're really emphasizing, you know, in, in the book is that quite often these connected strategies are not technology innovations, right? They are technology enabled, uh, but really the innovation is at the level of the business model. Right? So coming back again, sort of the Uber example or the Lyft example, right? It's not that Uber developed cell phones or GPS or Google Maps, right? But they used those elements, found a pain point and created a new business model around that, right? Now that again, to us is sort of in part the exciting thing being business school professors and not engineering professors, right? Uh, that, that I think a lot of the value comes from connecting actually almost existing technologies that are now existing. They haven't existed 20 years ago, but they're now existing and they're becoming even better. Uh, and that, again, sort of in part, I think, coming to your question of who's doing it well yet, well, I, I think, again, sort of as technology is also evolving, again, the space of connected strategies will open up quite a bit and allow you know, new, new business models to come about. So obviously, Fortune 500s uh, are incumbents in where they work. They have scale. They have revenue. But you see upstarts in the examples you gave with Uber, Airbnb. You see them, you know, create more market value than the traditional incumbents sometimes. Yeah. What What is driving that? And do you think that there's an advantage to an upstart having a connected strategy from day one versus a Fortune 500 trying to uh, adopt one while they're already mature? I think it's yes and no, right? So if I, I completely, I, I think I completely agree with your statement that yes, uh, you know, starting out as a company that thinks about connected strategy from the beginning and creates a whole organizational structure, business model mindset around that, that clearly is an advantage over an incumbent that has to kind of rethink of, you know, how do we restructure our organization? How do we share information across silos that have never talked to each other in order to create, for instance, you know, a seamless customer experience. So that is indeed really, really difficult for incumbent firms. At the same time, right, um, incumbents have tremendous advantages, right? They have already customer relationships. They might have a trusted relationship with customers, right? And so if you're thinking about um, the two settings that come sort of to my mind are, uh, you know, health and finance, right? Uh, where again, I think tremendous opportunities await for connected strategies. But there's a huge trust issue, right, between customers and 
uh, and companies. I mean, it's one thing if I order, you know, kind of a, a book on, on Amazon, right? Okay, I need a certain amount of trust, you know, that this will happen, but there's something else about sharing my personal health data or, or my, my financial data, right? And so I, I think um, it's not impossible, obviously, for, in, for new firms to come into these spaces and create uh, an alternative model, but to build up that trust with customers, that will take probably quite a long time. Right. And so I think in those instances, incumbents have a tremendous advantage. Now, they still have these huge challenges that we just talked about. Right. And so it's sort of a little bit of a trade off. So this is why, uh, again, I, I wouldn't count out. Right. Sort of our big incumbent firms and say, OK, you know, in 20 years, it'll be only just new startups. Uh, it'll be probably a mix. Right. Sort of some startups that have evolved and in larger firms and have been able to create these trust relationships with customers and some of the larger firms that have been able to make the transformation. So let's say I'm an innovator and an incumbent and essentially really want to drive transformational change in my organization through connected strategy. And I'm really focusing on this first point that you mentioned around really uh, the customer experience yes. and improving the customer relationship. How do I start? I think the most important starting point is understanding the customer journey, um, sort of what is the customer, you know, how is the customer going through an interaction with you? And so when we talk to managers and ask them, so what are value drivers for your customers? You know, quite often cust uh, managers will focus right away on tangible and intangible aspects of their product. You know, so my product has these kinds of features. My product is fast. It's, you know, has these bells and whistles. Um, and obviously these things are very important, but quite often the interaction that a customer has is sort of basically solving a problem in their lives, right? And that problem uh, starts way earlier than me getting the product that you're offering me, right? Uh, that journey starts with me being even aware that I have a need for this particular product or service. Uh, then I need to understand what are actually the range of options out there that, that could solve that problem then how do I decide what's the best problem, right? Then I have to order it, then I have to receive it, then I have to pay for it, right? And then only do I get that product. And then of course, once I have that product or service, right, there's probably my situation might change, right? And there's sort of some after sales service elements to it, right? And so there's this long customer journey. Uh, and I think there are lots of opportunities to help customers in this journey. And now that also I think opens up abilities for firms to differentiate themselves beyond the product and service that they sell, right? So, so often, uh, again, when we talk to companies, to managers, they say, well, you know, sorry, Nikolai, but, you know, I'm sort of in a commodity product, right? And how do I differentiate? Uh, and, you know, maybe a prime example would be if you are selling an index fund, right? I'm selling you an index S&P 500 fund. Okay, I grant you, this is really hard to differentiate, right? Because you're basically selling exactly the same basket of stocks, right? So clearly, if I'm in if, if I'm in that world, I cannot differentiate on the product. So what do I have to do, right? I have to go back in the in the customer journey and say, okay, right, sort of what what's the need? What's the fundamental need my customer is trying to fulfill, right? In this case, it may be I, I need to do some saving for retirement, right? And so already there's the first pain point that very often people are becoming aware of their needs, not at optimal times. Right. So uh, when I turn 60, it's probably not the best time for me to become aware. Oh, I need to save for retirement. 
Uh, when I'm lying on the floor and my, my heart is kind of jumping around with a heart attack, it's probably not the best time to become aware of my healthcare needs, right? But again, quite often that's sort of how we work, right? We wait sort of for the customer to become aware of their needs before anything happens. And quite often customers are not aware of their needs at optimal time. So if we can even help customers and that early stage of the value chain, right? We can already start building a relationship with that customer, right? Uh, then I'm aware, okay, I need to save for retirement. Oh, gosh, there are so gazillion of options out there, right? And I probably don't know all of them, right? So if you can help me understand what are the options out there, what's the best option for me? Okay, so now I know I need some kind of diversified portfolio of bond and you know stock funds. How do I buy them? Do I need a broker? Can I do it myself? Would someone else do it? Right? Again, sort of um, by the time I'm saying, okay, I want to buy that S&P 500 index fund from you, right? I've already solved so many other problems that, right? My decision is not now who has the better S&P 500 index fund, right? And so when you ask again, right, about, so what's that first step, right, that we would ask, uh, you know, companies to do? It is really to think it through what is sort of this customer journey? Uh, and again, there are maybe multiple customer journeys for different customers, et cetera. Then, right, identify pain points along that customer journey. And then you ask yourself, okay, what kind of information would I need for me to be able to eliminate that particular pain point, right? What kind of connection, information flow, right, would I have to create from the customer to me, right? And is it something that the customer can send to me or can I sort of automatically hover above that customer and extract that data? But what, what kind of information do I need? Because then, and this is sort of, you know, gets kind of to this whole point of where do you start with this whole process, right? Of creating a connected strategy. Uh, I think one of the key problems that companies are facing is that, um, right? They have lots of data, but they don't know what to do with it. Right, And so if you have identified a particular pain point, then you identify the data, then you can think about, right, how do I get that data? Um, all of a sudden, you have also a very different conversation with your customer or your client or your patient, whoever it is, right, of why you want this piece of information. And you can show the customer a clear value proposition, right? You're saying, okay, you give me this piece of information and in return, I make your life better. I can remove this pain point. Right? And then you prove that to the customer, right? And then that customer might say, wow, that really worked. Okay, um, what other pain point can you help me with? What other information can I send you, right? Um, rather than companies going to customers and say, well, give me all the data that you have, right? And then we'll do something with it, right? It becomes completely opaque to the customer what actually happens to my data. Uh, how do you, have you actually helped me in my life? I'm not seeing this at all. Uh, are you just sort of monetizing my data in some other way, kind of, right? And so, um, that's why I think sort of this deep understanding of customers is so important. And that, as a matter of fact, again, now is completely untechnological. Right? Uh, this is almost anthropological, right? This is live with your customer, deeply understand your customer, try to understand, you know, in that daily life of that customer, uh, right? And that may be a B2B customer, right? I mean, we, we don't necessarily have to talk about individuals, right? This may be a purchasing manager in a uh, you know, in a, in a factory or in a refinery or in a drilling operation, right? That needs to think about when do I have to replace my drills and what have you and, right? Sort of what are the pain points? What's the information flow? Uh, and then we can think about sort of the digital aspect, right? Or the technological aspect about it of, you know, how do we now create these, these information flows uh, in a very efficient way 
uh, that's easy for them and, and easy for us kind of to respond to. And how do we measure that? Is there a, uh, an equation or a quantitative element? Um, well, I think, well, at the end of the day, the measurement is some kind of customer satisfaction and your profits, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the eventual, the eventual goal, right? And I think, um, now the understanding the pain points, uh, again, so Christian sometimes talks about this as being small data, right? This is not big data that is sort of small data, right? Of, uh, really embedding yourself in, with customers really trying to understand the pain points. And again, you know, at some level, it, it, it sounds so obvious, but I'm just, again, still struck by how many times when we talk to uh, companies and managers about this, um, they have an easy time thinking about their pain points with their customers, but, but actually, you know, oh, that customer, you know, this is a problem that we have, but, but actually putting yourselves into the shoes of a customer is actually not an easy exercise, right? Uh, and, um, but I think it is it is so so essential for us to really create some value, both for the customer and then hopefully kind of right for us as well, because you know sometimes knowing needs of the customers earlier really helps you in efficiency, right? You can load balance your your factory or you can right. Uh, so so often what we see in, in you know B two B context is uh, you know customers in some sense wait too long. Uh, then all of a sudden everyone rushes in and then you don't have the capacity to be able to respond in time and you know it gets kind of uh, all out of whack and uh, again sort of you can drive your own efficiency by by understanding the needs of the customers better uh, it's not just making the customer happier but it's also you know increasing your own operational efficiency so what three tips would you have to an individual to put themselves in the mind of a customer um well, obviously, so it depends a bit on, on kind of what, what, what industry we're in, right? So in, in, in consumer-facing industries, quite often, you are also a customer, right? And so it shouldn't be that, sometimes it shouldn't be that difficult, but, but still it sometimes is. Um, the, um, again, I think this is sort of where tight relationship of technology or R&D and sales is important, right? Because quite often the salespeople are sort of the people who are closest to the customers and understand probably the customers best. So they are the, right? so the closest people who have been living with customers. Now, again, depends a bit on your sales force, right? And, and sort of what the attitude is of how to treat customers. But, but quite often that is sort of the level, um, right? And is basically try to seek the information from your customer facing elements of your organization, right? Uh, and that sometimes means reaching down pretty low in your organization, right? So when I'm at Disney, right? I wanna to talk to some people who work in the lines at, at Disney World, right? Uh, and, and because they are the ones who really have the interaction with the customer, they see the customer, right? They see this customer suffering or see the pain points, right? Uh, it's the, the people manning the, uh, the counters, right? Uh, or at the hotel reception desk or whatever, right? I mean, those are the ones that are really customer facing. And I think that's quite often where, where sort of some very important information lies that generally has a hard time traveling upstream in the organization. So how do those people get heard? Let's say I'm you know, the example as someone front of the line at Disney or at a front desk at a hotel but I feel like my management isn't hearing my voice, but I have some very tangible ideas. How, how do I drive meaningful change? It's tough, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's very tough to drive. Um, if you are at that level, that's very tough. Uh, to, you know, if you say you don't have much leverage. Now, um, 
again, I think I think we can drive, for instance, some improvement at the level of the hotel, right? Um, can we do it at the level of the hotel chain again, right? So there, there are sort of different levels at which you can can do this. Now, in part, what makes connected strategies difficult is that it indeed requires right, kind of quite often information to flow across silos in an organization uh, that exist. And so it does quite often actually require some big buy-in from someone relatively senior, right, kind of to break some of those silos. So, you know, one, one example we talk a lot about in, in our book is the magic band for Disney, right? Uh, so this little device that you get uh, when you go to a theme park and um, that kind of both allows you to have as a customer to have a better customer experience because you don't have to you know have a ticket anymore and it opens your hotel room and you don't need a credit card uh, and at the same time it provides Disney some information of where people are so they can help you kind of find a good itinerary during the day um, and allows them to create you know some some interesting uh, uh, customer experiences and so when we talk to the Disney team about so what was so difficult right uh, in implementing this uh, this technology, right? On one hand, yes, there was a big price tag because a lot of technology had to be uh, deployed. Uh, but they said the biggest problem again was organization, right? So, and I think it's a common experience in many organizations that we treat our customers as like five different people in five different databases. <laughs> so in Disney, it would be, okay, you know, you are in our database for online purchasing and then you're in our database because that's where you booked your, your trip. Right, then you are now the database in our hotel organization, and then maybe you are part of the uh, uh, information for the for the theme park, and maybe within the theme park there's a restaurant, and we probably never gathered any information about you there, right? And so, so we have so we treat you basically as five different people, um, right? And if you wanted to create a, a sort of consistent experience, well, you as the customer, you as the visitor, would have to stitch this together, right? Or uh, kind of the, the phrase they used, which I thought was, was quite evocative, was we basically forced our customer to navigate our own organizational structure, <laughs> right? Um, and that's, that's again, right? And so, so for them, kind of the, the, the um, big challenge was how do we break down these organizational silos so that we can change, uh, sorry, share information, right, across all of these databases and sort of treat the same person as the same person and start to accumulate our learning about this person, right, across these various instances in which we have touch points with that with that customer, even though some of the touch points are online, some of them are in the hotel, right? Uh, and But we need to aggregate all of that together uh, to really have a truly connected strategy. And that's hard to do unless you have someone fairly senior up saying, folks, you need to get this done, right? Uh, and again, there may be some incentives that have to be realigned, what have you. But mm -hmm. So, and ultimately, do yeah. you expect that those organizations that have the senior leadership to encourage that will foster better cultures? So the person at the front desk or the person at Walt Disney World will be in an organization ultimately that is heard because that culture is superior. Is is that like a thesis? I, I think that's right, right? I mean, I think there is there is sort of somewhat of a cultural mindset, and I think to to me again, it, it is. Um, really sort of supercharging these frontline employees, right? And their ability to interact with customers in a meaningful way, right? We need to give them the ability and, and the, that ability uh, is, is both sort of training, but it's also technology enabled, right? Uh, and so this is, I think, kind of where the, uh, again, the amazing potential of connected strategies lies, right? We don't have to always have superstars, 
but we can make them behave as if they are superstars because they're technologically enabled, right? And they know everything about you. And all of a sudden now I can, it's easy for me to customize your experience because I have all of that knowledge. Uh, I don't have to intuit this. I don't have to kind of, you know, read between the teenies very quickly and see, oh, you are this kind of person that, who likes this and that, uh, let me, you know, quickly react to this. No, I have all of that information. And so now, um, you know, I, you know, even, even sort of a normal, uh, normally skilled uh, person can actually uh, create an amazing experience. So process and product can really help a person execute at a level that, uh, you know, wouldn't be uh, possible otherwise. Exactly, right? So, you know, think again about checking into a hotel, right? So there's maybe kind of the, uh, the great person who has been there for the last 10 years working there and still remembers you from every time you're coming through, right? And, and that's, you know, an amazing person and highly skilled. And now here's the newbie, but if the newbie gets exactly the same information, right, very quickly, oh, it's, it's Nikolai coming in, and yes, he has been coming to this hotel for the next 10 years, and these are his preferences, and this, that, the other, all of a sudden, that person can create a very similar experience without having had, right, all of that, that knowledge or skill set before. Mm -hmm. So if customer relationships are really key, and then redefining your customer journey is going to set a path for you to grow, what do you think happens, you know, 10 years out on a company's delivery model? Well, I, I think sort of in, in many instances, both will probably go hand in hand. Um, not, not always, right? Sort of, uh, and so we, we kind of talk about five different sort of, uh, call them platforms or five different uh, connected uh, or connection architectures in, in the book of, of how firms really shape the connections among the various players in their ecosystem. Can you share uh, some and, of those with us? Uh, sure. Um, so you have, uh, we'll call it connected producer, which is, let's say, the Disney or the healthcare system, right, where sort of the key relationship is really between the customer and the firm that provides and creates the products and services. Um, you know, then you have uh, connected retailers, uh, like an Amazon, right, that's not producing everything that they're selling to you. Now, of course, they're starting to do that, right? There's now partly a connected producer, but uh, still a lot of the stuff is they're just right, getting from other suppliers but they're sort of actively involved in, in, in getting the stuff to you. Uh, then we have, um, you know, connected market makers um, that uh, basically uh, create just a marketplace, right? But they're not involved in moving products around. So Expedia, right, um, is not holding inventory of uh, airline seats or hotel rooms where they're just connecting you directly to a supplier and, and they get sort of some, some commission from that. Uh, then we have crowd orchestrators uh, that would be like an Uber and Airbnb um, that, again, basically just connect you to a certain extent, uh, you know, create this connection between, right, and a supplier and a, and a customer. But now the suppliers are individuals, right? Uh, in Expedia's case, it's sort of existing companies, you know, hotels, or airlines, whereas now it's like individuals who are not part, as a matter of fact, of the supply before, right? So they're really creating an entirely new market. Uh, and lastly, we have sort of peer-to-peer -peer network creators, right? A LinkedIn, a, you know, um, uh, a TripAdvisor, what have you, right? Sort of where you have kind of these peer-to-peer -peer connections. Um, so those are kind of five different models, right? Of how you think about how do we connect the, the different players. Um, and the interesting thing to us is that most companies right now have one of these five models, right? Um, now, again, Amazon is a bit of an ex exception because Amazon is starting to play sort of in multiple of these, of these columns, right? So they started out being a, uh, a connected retailer. Uh, then they became, to a certain extent, through Amazon Marketplace, 
right? Uh, now they're also, of course, uh, a connected market maker, right? Where they're saying, okay, I'm just connect you to some supplier, but the supplier is shipping that directly to you. Uh, then they said, oh, why don't we produce some of the stuff that we sell, right? Now they're a connected producer, um, right? So then with their um, peer ratings uh, of, of, of products, right, uh, online, they're starting to create a bit of a peer-to-peer -peer network. Um, uh, and, and so it's sort of interesting to see that, so my main point here is, right, so if most firms currently are working in one model, but as we are learning more and more about a particular customer, I might understand certain needs of that customer. And of course, in order to be like your trusted provider, let's say in healthcare, I would like to help you also with your problem of getting to the doctor, which is actually quite sometimes a problem for people. How do I get from my home to the doctor, right? And so I know, I now I know this is a pain point in your life. And if I'm really your trusted partner in helping you achieve good health, then I should be able to help you with that pain point as well. So now, currently, I'm in a healthcare system, and I'm connect the producer. So if I just think about living in that, in that, for, for me, it's a column, because this is of how our framework works. If, I, if, I, uh, if I'm just in that particular uh, connection architecture, well, that would imply what I, now I have to like integrate into transportation services. But of course, you don't have to, right? Uh, you could now maybe become a connected retailer that says, Okay, if you also need a ride, just click here when you make your appointment and we'll send a car to you. But, but it's not our car, it's someone else's car, right? Or we have a little marketplace, right? Um, and so the interesting thing is that in, I think as you are becoming more and more deeply embedded with your customer and understand sort of this customer relationship better, that may require you also to add different connection architectures. Um, to fulfill also those needs, right? And so that's, I think, kind of where, where, these, where these things go hand in hand. And so to a certain extent, again, coming back to your question, what would I expect? I would probably expect that at least some firms who get really deeply involved with their customers may have a multiplicity of these connection architectures, depending on what part of the kind of customer journey that we're trying to address. Got it. And what advice would you give to someone trying to deploy a connected strategy? I probably would say start small in the sense of coming back to this point, try to first understand one particular pain point that you think, wow, that's that could really add a lot of value to my customer. And if you could remove that, could also create quite some efficiencies for us, right? Try to find that. Then try to understand, okay, why can't we uh, remove that pain point, right? And, and usually it's an informational problem, right? That I don't have that right information at the right time. Then think about, right, how can we create that information flow, um, you know, and, and start with that. Start with a problem that you want to solve. I think many companies start on the other side saying, oh, gosh, we have all this data. What can we do with it, right? Uh, and that's sort of quite often hard because... I know certain things that I can do with the data, but I'm actually don't know whether that's actually solving a problem, <laughs> right? And, and sort of whether that actually eventually is creating some value in the eye of the customer. And again, coming back to this word that I've used a number of times, right? You know, fundamentally connected strategies are about developing a trust relationship with your customer, right? Uh, yes, in the short run, we can screw people, but in the long run, that's not a viable business model, right? And so to have a viable business model, we need to create that trust relationship. And I think the only way you create a trust relationship is by having 
a very clear quid pro quo, right? You are giving me this data and I make your life better, right? And you're very transparent about how you use the data uh, and you make it very clear to the customer of how that customer's life has improved. And, and then a customer can decide of, yes, was that sort of a fair trade or not? And if it was a fair trade, then I'm probably willing to trade more of my information. Um, and uh, right, and so I think that is sort of a, sort of a slow cycle that that I think you will have to engage in with your customer. You know, particularly if you're in the B2B world, right? Coming back again to the B2B world, obviously there are quite often companies are very hesitant of sharing data uh, with their suppliers or with their customers, right? Because they think, gosh, you know, I'm I'm just laying my cards on the table, right? I'm I'm now opening myself up for uh, getting expropriated, and so you know, for good reasons, companies are quite often um, very hesitant of sharing the data. That's again, why it is so important to have that very clear, transparent value proposition of saying, well, if you could give me this data, I can do the following for you. And so let's try it out and see whether you know, both of us find this is a good transaction. Great. Well, Nikolai, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's fun. Excellent. Take care. Thank you. Bye. on the next episode of Decoding Digital. I think it's an addiction. Like I'll, I'll continue to work on my grave probably. I like to create stuff, that's, that's what I am. I'm a creator in nature. Building a company is, uh, is a great experience, especially when it's like uh, super successful. Co-founder and CEO of Gong.io, Amit Bendov. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice. To learn more, visit decodingdigital.com. Until next time.